Samuel chapter 8. And we'll see how far we go tonight as we now come to the juncture in the history of Israel where they're going to be demanding a king. And we're going to see the transition from the judges uh, to the monarchy. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned, uh, a lot of things going on. Um, And I I pray that you guys, as you read through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will impress certain verses upon your heart. And maybe you put a little star by it or you circle it and you go home and you just read it again because that's the way God's word is. It's a working word. It's a living word. And the Holy Spirit is your teacher. I'm not your teacher. The Holy Spirit is. And so... You know, one of the things that I, I, I found in going through this portion of Scripture is that the children of Israel, they, they just blow it, man. They blow it big time. Imagine having God as your, you know, president, so to speak, you know, or God as your king, you know, God as your governor, God as your leader, not a man. I mean, isn't that uh, an awesome thought to think? You know, and that's who the children of Israel had. They had God. They were a theocracy. And, uh, and it was so cool. But they had come to this point now where they wanted to be like just, you know, the rest of the world. They rejected the Lord and they would ask for monarchy. And so they said, God, we don't want the king of kings. We'd rather have a king. We don't want you, God. We'd rather have a man over us so we can be like the rest of the world. You know, when I think about that, I think, man, that's the epitome of evil. Why anyone would ever want to live a fraction of a moment of their life where the Lord is not reigning over you. You know, you got someone else over you. And so I was thinking about that, how how bad that is. But then I was thinking, as we're going to go through our studies today, how good God is. We're going to see that the Lord will give them what they want, even though it's such a wicked want but he, he, he does it, and then he gives them Saul. And we're going to talk about this, you know, as we go through our study. And he just sovereignly, graciously, lovingly, he gives them a man who I think, really, when God chose him, was a, was a good man. And we're going to talk a little bit about this today. He, he so graciously deals with you and me, and we're knuckleheads, Right? You know, you guys are all knuckleheads. I'm a knucklehead. We are sinners. We are wicked. We, you know, how, how, what's your batting average? How many of you here bat a thousand? Nobody here does, right? I mean, if you're in the, in the major leagues and you're batting 300, you're doing good. If we as Christians, I think, are batting 300, we're probably doing good. I feel sorry for Albert Pujols. I know he's like right around 200 right now, maybe a little lower, and it's just not good, right? I mean, what are you batting? I mean, we can't be here tonight thinking that we are just so perfect because we're not. And yet God has been so gracious to us, hasn't he? You know what? Let's make sure that we have a Christianity that says God is good. Not him or her, but God is good. And I think what that does then is that that then changes us. And so we're going to cover some ground tonight. Did you bring your Bible? Okay, if you didn't bring your Bible, please leave. No, I'm just joking. Some of you here don't have one. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and one of the ushers will bring one to you because we really need to follow along today. Look what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 8. It says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel. That means Jehovah is God. And the name of his second 
Abisha means praise God. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel, they gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old. That's nice, huh? You are old. (laughs) And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And so Samuel prayed to the Lord. Now, from what I understand, 25 years have passed between chapter 7 and chapter 8. Samuel is now old. We saw his life. I remember when he was born and then when he was, you know, a a little guy, 12 years old. He starts, uh, you know, being used by God, raised up to judge Israel. Now he's an old man, probably at the point of, you know, getting ready to die. And so what ends up happening is the leaders of the land are concerned about their country And what we see here is that one of their concerns is that Samuel had made his sons judges over Israel, but the problem is they were not fit to lead. Notice again there in verse 3, his sons, they did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. So Samuel's sons were leaders, but they were not fit to lead. And, you know, right away you might say, oh, Samuel wasn't a good parent, huh? But the Bible doesn't say that. You know, sometimes parents are good parents and their kids don't choose to follow the Lord, right? We don't know that for sure. As a matter of fact, when you read the Bible, I would would have to guess that Samuel had this very strong personal relationship with God in which he would pray with thunder. He had such an intimate relationship with God. I don't think he could have been a bad parent with such a beautiful relationship with God. The bottom line is our kids have to choose whether or not they're going to follow the Lord, right? Uh, but the bottom line is his sons did not follow in Samuel's ways, at least not at this juncture in their life. We read the reason right here is that they were more interested in money and the things that money can buy. And for us as Christians living in America, be so careful, you guys, because materialism can get in the way big time. Remember uh, Elisha and Gehazi? Elisha was right on, right? He was right on. But Gehazi, who was raised up under him, unfortunately, was disqualified because he got greedy and therefore he was then struck with leprosy. Remember Judas and Jesus? I mean, here's a man raised up under the leadership of Jesus Christ. But what got in the way? Money, greed. He was taken from the money box, right? And then we see that he sold our Savior in for 30 pieces of silver. You know, be so careful. And we all have to examine our own lives, whether or not we are pursuing this God of mammon, money, and the things that money can buy, or God himself. The Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, I don't think that bad sons were all Samuel's fault, but he does have a fault that we see in our text today, huh? And that is this, that his sons should not have been in leadership positions, right? I mean, 
And, and again, of all people, Samuel should have known better because that's what happened to his predecessor, Eli. You guys remember Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were there in the leadership position and they were wicked, sleeping around with the women, taking from the sacrifices of God. I mean, people didn't even want to go to church because these guys were so bad. Eli had them in positions of leadership. And here we see that you would have figured that Samuel would have learned from that. But unfortunately, we see that he didn't. Listen, you guys, if we don't learn from the past, then we're doomed to repeat it. You know, when you're a pastor or whatever the place is, you know, you're in that place of leadership, how tempting it can be to appoint your son or your children or your friends as successors in certain positions, even though a lot of times they are not qualified to be a leader for the Lord. You know, I wonder what would have happened if Samuel had not failed in this area. Perhaps they would not have asked for a king. Perhaps they would have remained a theocracy and not go on to be a monarchy. If you're here today and you're a leader, and I have to take this into consideration as a servant leader, that we do not take those positions and those responsibilities lightly. But we need to find men who love the Lord. You know, a lot of times we'll put someone in a position because they have a talent, because they have the skill, because they've got the right blood, or they've got the right look. Huh. And we'll see, we're going to see later, that was a problem with Saul, is they put Saul as the king. Why? Because he was so handsome. I mean, think about that. He had the look. Sometimes I wonder about our modern day president, if that wasn't why people chose him. What about character? What about integrity? And most of all, what about their spiritual life with the Lord? You know, I tell my kids, because both of them play music, and both of them have an element of, you know, the musical talent that they've been given. I tell them, you know, it's cool to have a talent, but remember, everything about ministry is your life. It's your life. It's your character. It's not whether or not you got the right blood, or oh, I'll make my son's successors. It's not whether or not you got the right look, or oh, look at Saul, he's tall, dark, and handsome. Looks like a perfect king. No. It's about the character of the individual. You know, Samuel here, you know, he blew it in that area. I pray that we would really be careful with that. You know, if you, you know, can, if you ever have that responsibility, Exodus chapter 18 tells us about the qualifications of a leader. Acts chapter 6, Titus chapter 1, and 1 Timothy chapter 3. And you look for those things when you're appointing a leader. And so anyways, they came to Samuel and they said, you know what? Uh, he says in verse 5, look, you are old. Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. And so we see here the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And so Samuel prayed to the Lord. The word right here in the Hebrew translated displeased, it speaks of being displeasing to the point of trembling. You know, it was really shaking him up. Something grievous, evil, and harmful. This is not a little thing, really, to ask for a king like all the other nations. You know, and that right there, I think, deserves attention. Don't you think? 
I mean, think about this right here, you guys. The witness of Israel was supposed to be how they were not like all the other nations, right? I mean, the word Israel, the name Israel, when God changed Jacob's name from Hillcatcher, Hill, Hill Conniver, to Israel, it means governed by God. So Israel was called to be, this is real simple, an obedient people. And as an obedient people, they would be a blessed people. The nations around them would then witness them. They would witness their witness and they would see the blessings of God. And that one then was supposed to make the other nations want their God. You see, we need to be so careful that we don't have the same mentality that says, hey, I want to be like the world. You know, I think sometimes we as Christians, we can, you know, really, really get caught up in being trendy and blandy, right? Sometimes we think, well, I want to be able to relate to them and they should relate to me, so I'm just going to be like them. And God says, no, that's not the way it works. They wanted a monarchy rather than a theocracy. You know, I want to encourage you guys to know this. Remember the word church. You know what that means? What does the word church mean? Well, in the Greek language, the word ecclesia It means the called out ones. We're the called out ones, you guys. And what that means is we're supposed to be different. And so what we need to do is to influence them for good by being godly and not allow them to be the influence on us to be ungodly. Here's a few verses that you might want to write down. In James chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says that we are not to be spotted by the world. We're to be unspotted by the world. And so be so careful that they don't put their blemishes on you. James chapter 4, verse 4 says that we're not to be friends with the world. Enmity with God, that's what it means. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. And then Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world. How many of you guys have the t-shirt, the bumper sticker, or whatever it is that says, Not of this world? How many of you guys have that? Okay. It's cool to have the bumper sticker. I have one on my car. Finally, I put one on my truck, right? And the other day, we were moving a television, and this guy you know, that was following me, um, he, he asked me, what does that N-O-T-W thing mean? What does it mean? And so it was cool I had the opportunity to share with him what Jesus says in John chapter 17, John chapter 14, verse 16, that we are not of this world. John 17. And, you know, I was telling him, you know, what it means for us to be as Christians. We love the people of the world, but we are careful not to be swayed by their influence. You know, when I speak of the world, I'm not talking about planet Earth and the great outdoors. Why? Because we need to live on this planet and we need to mingle with mankind, right? We need to get outdoors and be a witness for Christ. But what we need to guard against are the sins of our society, the sway of the wicked one, the distractions of the devil. What I believe, what we find today in the world that we live in is that they are like, mankind is like in this matrix, right? It's a matrix of sin and so many of the things that are popular and prevalent in this world to God are unfriendly to him. And so they have this agenda, huh? The enemy does. And we just got to make sure that we don't compromise 
with his lies. Man, don't want to be like all the nations. Don't want to be just like the world. We are called out to win them to Christ. And so these elders, they came to Samuel and they said, Make us a king to judge us like all the nations, like the rest of the world. And I like what Samuel did in verse 6. It says, So Samuel prayed to the Lord. That's a good thing to do, huh, when you're challenged. Anyways, the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore, heed their voice, however. You shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. God kind of is getting fired, you know. We don't want you anymore. We don't want you anymore. We want to be like the rest of the nations. We want a king to kind of lead us out into war, even though God had already given them the victory through Samuel supernaturally. But, you know, they say, God, sorry, uh, we rejected you. And they always rejected him. Isaiah 53 says he was rejected, right? Despised by men. And the Lord says, you know what, Samuel, go ahead and, and give them what they want. In all reality, God saved, they rejected me to reign over them, Samuel, not you. God says in verse 8, this is the way they've always been. Now, when you read that, you might wonder, well, why didn't God just tell them no? You know, why didn't God just say, no, you, you know, you want a king? I'm your king. No, come on, wake up. You know, why didn't God do that? You know, couldn't God or shouldn't God have simply said no? Well, it's kind of funny how it works, you know. Again, Israel was supposed to be a monarchy. Uh, they were supposed to be a theocracy governed by God, and they wanted to be a monarchy. And being a theocracy was supposed to be a blessing to them. But what happens now when they no longer want God to rule over their life? God is going to do what? God is going to deal with them, right? God is going to chasten them. They had come to this place of chastening. They had forsaken the place of blessing. You know, and I don't know how you guys uh, are doing in that area. Um, I know today I was reading in John chapter 5. And you read it throughout the whole Gospel of John. You find that Jesus Christ, when he came to planet Earth, all he wanted to do was the will of his Father. That's all he ever wanted to do, huh? Remember that time in John chapter 4? He hadn't eaten. He was talking to a Samaritan woman. The disciples went and they got in and out, remember? And they came back, right? And they said, come on, Lord, have a double-double, right? And the Lord said, no. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. That's my food. That's my satisfaction. That's what sustains me in life. You know, when you read the Gospel of John, one of the things you find so clearly is that Jesus Christ never said a word unless the Father hadn't put it in his heart and mouth. Jesus Christ never did anything that his Father did not want him to do. 
Now, I know he has a slight advantage, right? He is God in the flesh. He doesn't have a sin nature. But remember this, that he is our model. And when I think of that, I know it's tough, but it's got to be my goal. Lord, you reign over me. Lord, you be the king of my life. Lord, let it all be your will, everything I say. Even when I'm home and, you know, your guard is down and, and you think your wife, you know, she's going to love you anyways, no matter what you say. It seems like when you're at home, it's the hardest time. You really have to make sure that everything is surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, what we find is they no longer wanted that theocracy. They wanted to be like the rest of the world. And so God, you know, what he did was he said, okay, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to chasten you by allowing you to slip into what we call the permissive will of God. You know, some people are kind of weird. They think that the sovereignty of God is so strong that nothing can ever come into my life that is not like God's perfect will. And that's not true. You know, sometimes we see people get married to the wrong person. Well, God allowed it to happen. No, you brought it to pass. You were resistant, persistent, and insistent on your will. Welcome to the permissive will of God. And you experience what? The chastening of God. You know, if you wanted to, you can go out right now. And, uh, man, I hope I don't tempt anybody, man. But you know what? You can get in your car. You could turn on the keys and you can step on the gas and you can walk into a bar and you could get drunk. And you'll say, well, wouldn't God stop me? I mean, come on, you know. And maybe, maybe you could get in a crazy car accident, right? <laughs> but probably not. Why? Because you're free. You're not robots. And what we find is that, you know, the Lord will allow us sometimes, man, to slip into his permissive will. Now, of course, there's different areas of our life. We know that, you know, having a king over Israel is kind of an interesting thing. It's a little different. God knew that they would eventually demand a king. There were many prophecies in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 6 and 16, God had prophesied to Abraham and Sarah that they would have kings one day. In Genesis chapter 35, it says that God had prophesied to that Jacob that they would have kings one day. And in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, it says the scepter wouldn't depart from Judah. And so we know that God knew eventually they would have kings. We even know in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, that God knew it would happen. He said it would happen. And there it's real interesting. In Deuteronomy 17, 14, he knew the day would come when they said, we want to be like all the other nations, and they would demand a king. Now, God knew that. But what we find is that even though God allows certain things in our life, it doesn't mean that he approves or authorizes those things within his perfect will. You know, it's been said more than once that sometimes leaders are allowed by God as God's way of chastening us. And he chastens us for what reason? To change us, right? To change us and to lead us back to him. And so in the end, that's what God's going to want to do. You know, there's a real interesting verse. If you guys don't know this one, write it down. Psalm 106 in verse 13 through 16. Do you guys remember that whole story when the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness and they wanted meat? Do you guys remember that? Oh, give me some meat, man. 
You know, I'm tired of this uh, manna. You know, I want some filet mignon, man. I want some thick, you know, give me some meat, right? And so it says they lusted exceedingly. It says they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert, right? And it says this, And God gave them their request, but sent leanness to their soul. Oh, they got their meat. You know, who knows? Maybe they even got the A1 sauce, man. Who knows? It was a good barbecue that day, man. They had, the Bible says that the meat was coming out of their nostrils. They got their meat, but there was leanness that was sent to their soul. You know, my wife and I, every once in a while, we'll have these conversations. I don't know if any of you guys are like this, but once you get your mind on something, you're like, you know what? I, I, you know, you, you start, you start, you know, window shopping, or maybe you go over to your friend's house and you're like, man, I want one of those. Maybe there's a car, I don't know, a Mini Cooper or something. I'm thinking, oh, those would be cool. And you're thinking, Lord, how about a Mini Cooper, you know? And then all of a sudden you just start seeing them everywhere, right? And you're like, confirmation, right? God wants me to have a Mini Cooper, right? But let's just say say you do this. You look at your budget and you're like, you know what? It's not there. You know, we believe where God guides, God provides. But you still keep seeing Mini Coopers everywhere, right? You know, and what ends up happening a lot of times is if we don't yield that to the Lord, you know, we just kind of keep going over the roadblocks. We we lack all wisdom. We keep kind of just going forward with whatever it is and thinking that God might somehow supernaturally stop us. Uh, what ends up happening? You know, you, you get your mind set on something, you start coveting that, and you want it, and you get it. And then what ends up happening? Because I've done this before. You're, you feel empty inside. Because you know that you were kicking against the goats. You know that you were going against God's will. And what we find is the Lord will allow us you know, to do those things when we're insistent and persistent and resistant of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. But what's going to end up happening? We're going to see as we go through our study today that God will show them that they will have to pay the price. God said, you know what, I'll give them what they want, but that's not going to be all that good. As a matter of fact, Samuel, tell them what it's going to be like. And so in verse 10, it says, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people, who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. Now notice the word take. You guys have seen the word take over and over again. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands, captains over his fifties, will set them to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. 
and the Lord will not hear you in that day. But nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. And so the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And so Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. You know, we're, we're not used to like what it would be like to be a theocracy. Israel was the only nation to be a theocracy. But their governor, God, their king of kings was so awesome in that he was just blessing, just giving. You know, but what ends up happening is you set up this huge, massive bureaucracy, kings. Think about this. Taking your sons, taking your daughters, taking, you know, your the finest elements of your land, taking the tenth of your grain. You know, think about that. Taking your, you know, male and female servants, I mean, just taking from you. And even today, you know, we have a government. You know, we're pretty blessed in our country, but... You know, all the taxes we pay, think about that. How cool it would be if you didn't have to pay taxes, man. Wouldn't that be cool? And we pay 10% here in the city of Almani. It's crazy. It's crazy. Think about how awesome it would be if they would have just done things God's way. You know, the Holy Spirit, you know, before you sin, He warns you. He tells you, you know what, don't do that. He makes it clear these will be the ramifications of your sin. You know, and that's what the Lord wanted to do through Samuel to tell them, listen, this is what will happen. Eyes wide open, do you know what you're getting into? They said, yes, we know, but we want it anyways. Have you guys ever done that? Just out of curiosity? Have you ever just sinned, you know, presumptuously? No, I think, like I said earlier, a lot of times it happens in purchases that we make that we know weren't of the Lord. It could be other things. But what we need to do is to be real careful with those things. You know, we, uh, we sin. We blow it. This right here, when I look at this, to me, is just a terrible, terrible, terrible sin. It really is. They rejected God. They didn't want Him. They fired Him. They said, we'd rather have somebody that we can see. Somebody who's got the right look. Someone to kind of lead us into battle. We want to be like all the other nations. And when I see that right there, I think, wow, Lord, that's crazy. But then when I look at my own life, in all honesty, I think, you know what, I do that sometimes. Lord, how many times have I failed you? How many times have you woken up in the morning and rather than, you know, getting on your face and getting on your knees, you went and you started your day without even asking God, you know, for guidance, without even praying. Now, how many times have, you know, the Holy Spirit told you to wake up, you know, at a certain time or maybe it was your alarm clock, you know, God used it and you're like, no, not now, maybe later. Next thing you knew, you wake up in the morning, you're out there and you haven't really spent your time with the Lord. Well, how many times have we said the wrong thing to our husband, said the wrong thing to our spouse? We have not been in the Word. We have not witnessed. 
We have not served. We have not given like we should be giving. I mean, there are so many ways that we fail the Lord. You know, I was reading about uh, Solomon's prayer when he was dedicating the temple. And he said, and, and when your people sin, because there's no one who doesn't sin, when they sin, Lord, hear their prayers when they pray toward this place. You know, I was reading today in First John chapter 2, it's verse 1. It says, we write these things to you so that you may not sin. But if we do sin, we have what? An advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And that's what we find right here. Like I said earlier, man, I, I pray that we wouldn't take this lightly. I pray that we would not want to be like the world, not want to, you know, get into God's permissive will. But I want to encourage you tonight, because I know that we've all failed the Lord to some degree, to know that even though we're not as good as we should be, that God is good. And that if you're a Christian and if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you trust in Him as your Savior, then God will still give you that opportunity to go forward in this relationship with Him. God is the God of the second chance. Now, I'm not taking that lightly as far as what we do to fail, but I want to encourage you to know how good God is. Because look what happens with Israel. Because if, we if we were leading at that point, how many of you have said, forget you, man. I'm going to find me another nation, right? But God didn't do that. Look what ends up happening. In chapter 9, it says, And there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zerar, the son of Bechorath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And so the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you, arise and go look for the donkey. And so he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha. But they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shaolim, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servants who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, Look now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass, and so let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. And then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here in my hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Now, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. And then Saul said to his servant, Well said, Come, let us go. And so they went to the city where the man of God was. 
what we're going to see now is that things are going to begin to be set in motion for God to bless the nation with a king. Now, I know most of us here are not tall, dark, and handsome. Most of us here are short. Um, no, I'm just joking. I won't, I won't finish that sentence. <laughs> you know, and you're probably thinking, right off the bat, you're thinking, Saul was tall, dark, and handsome, and so that makes him bad. No, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, and I, I don't know how you guys uh, feel about this, but Maybe I should stir up a little controversy right here. I think Saul was a good choice. I don't think that God, you know, just wholeheartedly chose a man who had no potential. You know, the other day we had a conversation with an individual and they were talking about Judas and they were saying, you know, why would Jesus choose Judas if Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him? And the reason that Jesus chose Judas is because out of all the men, these were the 12 that were most qualified when he chose them. Now we're going to see later that Saul blows it, man. That Saul, you know, we're going to see he lacked character. But we're going to see also tonight, before you guys just right off the bat write him off as a terrible man, we're going to see that God was working in this guy's life to give him an opportunity to be a good king. Now there might be someone here who says, no, and Manny, in the book of Genesis chapter 49, it says Judah was the kingly tribe, not Benjamin. Yeah, but God looked down the corridors of time and God saw what Saul would do. And so I'm of the conviction that Saul was actually a good choice. That Saul was the man, and we're going to see even in the kingdom that Saul you know, uh, you know, led, it wasn't all bad. God blessed Israel. But we're going to see as we go through here that God gave them an opportunity. And God began to work things out. We're going to see so supernaturally. You know, what ends up happening is one day the donkeys get out. You know, how did that happen? God did it. You know, the donkeys go out. And they go through, if you were to look at a map, you would see the area of Ephraim. You would see these areas, you know, where Saul was traveling probably at least a good 20 miles looking for these donkeys. Is that random? No. God is going to have him cross paths with Samuel the seer. We see Saul here has some good characteristics. He's willing to do the small job. Who knows, one day, man, you take care of those donkeys, God might make you king, right? We see he's even curious as far as like, well, how are we going to pay this guy? He has this, you know, care inside of him. The guy says, oh, we've got a little bit of money. Watch what happens. And so we read on in verse 11. It said, as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? Now, according to Jewish tradition, the girls were really excited to talk to Saul. They said, well, this guy is, is pretty handsome, man. And they were all, hey, yes, there he is. <laughs> They're all excited, right? Just ahead of you, hurry now, for today he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. And as soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. 
And so they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way to the high place. You see, God was orchestrating this, you guys. God, in his grace, was still working with his children. God in his grace was still working with this country. And God in his grace is still working in your life. He really is. Even though we don't deserve it. Even though we've done things that are just, you know, we are so ashamed of. As we turn back to the Lord, we look up to the Lord, we find, you know, he's still working. And the, the donkeys get out. Samuel's on his way. You know, Saul's on his way. They cross paths. We read in verse 15 that the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people. Notice that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. That doesn't sound all bad. It doesn't. God said, there's a man, and I'm, and I'm sending him your way. You're going to find him there. It was done in advance. God says, and he's going to be used to save my people from the Philistines. I've heard their cry. It's not all bad, you see. And so when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. The Lord is speaking to Samuel. And so when Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate, he said, please tell me, where is the seer's house? And Samuel answered and said, I am the seer. Think about that for a second, you guys. What are the odds that, you know, the one guy he comes up to is the guy that he's listening to, the guy that he's looking for, unless it wasn't totally the Lord, right? God is doing this work. And so he says right here, listen, go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today and tomorrow, and I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? The name Saul, it means asked for. It means desired one, right? And his, he was the one, you know. Samuel, he, he kind of tells him about the donkeys. Again, part of it is to settle his heart. But another part of it, I think, is to prove to him that God is on the throne, that God, this is totally supernatural, right? And so we read in verse 21, Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? And there seems to be an element of humility there, right? It's a good thing for a leader to have. But we read in verse 22 that Samuel took Saul and his servant, brought them into the hall, and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. And there were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. Now, in those days, in that culture, they would take the best part of the meat and they would set it apart for the one that they wanted to honor. It was kind of like yesterday. I went to a barbecue over a friend's house, right? And as he was barbecuing the carne asada, I was thinking, man, I'd like to have that piece right there, right? 
Kind of like that, like the best piece, right? It was saved for him. This, the Lord is doing a work. He's showing him that he's on the throne, right? It says right there, So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel says, Here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you. Since I said I invited the people. And so Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. And they arose early. It was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. How many of you guys like to go on your roof, just out of curiosity? I remember a while back, I used to like just go up on the roof and kind of get a view and look at whatever the moon and stuff. And then the roof started getting messed up, man. In those days, you guys know, huh? They had flat roots, roofs. It was like another room. And so they're up there. They're talking, you know, at night. Uh, and, you know, it says, and earlier we read, Samuel said, I'm going to tell you everything in your heart. I'm going to tell you everything that's going on in your heart. You know, and, and Saul must have been tripping out. Having this conversation with Samuel, the great leader, religious leader, spiritual leader of the nation, you know. I mean, God right here is feeding him. God right here is preparing him for the work that he's calling him to do, right? And so we read in verse 27 that as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on. But you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. And so Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then, Samuel said, you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. Notice how detailed all this is. Samuel's telling him, You're, all this is going to come to pass. And he's telling him, you know, you know de- detailed, you know, specifically. Why? So that when it does, he would know that God was on the throne, that God was doing this, right? I mean, it gives them all these details. It says in verse 4, They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God, where the Philistines' garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them. And they will be prophesying. More than likely, they're going to be praising God, right? Singing the good things of God. And then notice what we read in verse 6. And then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will be prophes- and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. You know, in those days, and we see it, you know, we'll see it as we go through the Scriptures, they would anoint the kings, right? They would take them. And it's kind of interesting when you read the scriptures about how that oil, I mean, we're not talking about like when we anoint you here, like if you're sick, 
you come forward and put a little cross right there on your forehead or something, right? That's not how they did it in the Old Testament. They would pour the, the, the oil all over you and it would drip all over you, right? You know, that's a, a real anointing, right? And what that was was the symbolic of the Spirit of God coming upon an individual, you know. And, and we're, we'll see that the Lord would indeed anoint Saul, that the Lord would indeed, you know, allow him to prophesy, that the Lord would indeed give him another heart, that the Lord would indeed turn him into another man. How God was doing everything that was necessary for him to be the man of God. And I want to encourage you tonight to know that, you know, you, maybe you're not going to be the king of the nation, man. But it doesn't even matter because one place is not better than another place. There you are as a husband. There you are as a wife. There you are as a father or, or a daughter. There you are as a, as a mom as an overseer, as a pastor, as a missionary, wherever it is in the kingdom of God. And I pray that we would know this, that apart from the anointing of God and the Spirit of God upon our life, it doesn't matter what the task is, we're going to fail the Lord. You know, I want to encourage you to know this, that, you know, the Bible talks about ways that we can grieve the Spirit through disobedience, and quench the spirit through doubt. I want to encourage you to do your best to know this. You know, we need to believe in the spirit. And we need to be led by the spirit. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever you do, don't lean on the fact that you have this gift. Or you have this talent. Or you have this money. Or whatever it is. You have this position. Because we, we, we need the Spirit of God in our life. And you know, when we think about it, because it doesn't really matter how eloquent an individual is, if the Lord's not in it, it's not going to penetrate a single heart. It doesn't matter what we come and give if the Lord's not in it. Here's Saul. He's probably got massive biceps. He's tall. He's head and shoulders above everybody else. He's got the look. But that's not going to be what it takes to lead the nation. He needs the Spirit of God. And my prayer is that we would come to a place in our life that we would so hunger after that anointing of God in our life that we would be so desperate, you know, for Him, you guys, because I've realized that apart from Him, I can do nothing. I can't go a single day without the Spirit of God strengthening me. Otherwise, what's going to happen? In my, wife, in, my, in my house, we're going to have nothing but holy headlock, man. You know, there you are in your house, and you end up doing what? Fighting. Fighting. You know, you shouldn't be fighting each other. There's an enemy out there that we should be fighting. You know, and sometimes you see in people involved in the ministry, and you just know, you know what? Even though they have gifts and talents, they're not anointed by God. They're not living the life. It's the life. It's the life that we live. It's the life that we live in the secret places. That will anoint you. That will empower you to do the work that you got to do. 
But we've got to try our best not to grieve the Spirit, not to quench the Spirit, not to live a life of disobedience, not to live a life of doubt. Do you still believe in the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, I believe in Jesus. Well, cool, believe in Jesus, but believe in the Holy Spirit. Believe in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit has come upon you, right? And Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you shall be endued with power from on high. Then you're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. I'm telling you this, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit today more than we ever have. And I'm telling you this, it doesn't matter if you were baptized by the Holy Spirit one day, 23 years ago, 10 years ago, or even last month. It's got to be a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, right? And that's why they anointed him with the oil, you guys. Because he needed that Holy Spirit, and we need the Holy Spirit. All these things, Samuel said, are going to be given to you. And in verse 7, he said, And let it be when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands. Notice this, for God is with you. For God is with you. You know, and so when I read about people, and sometimes, you know, some of my favorite teachers say, oh, Saul was all bad. Saul was all bad. Saul was all bad. No, I don't, I don't know if I see that. I mean, he ended up being bad, but he had an opportunity to be good, just like we all do. But Saul, we see, unfortunately, we're going to see, did not follow through. God was with him, just like God is with us. He says in verse 8, You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. And that would be an important lesson. Later Saul would, I mean Samuel, Saul would blow it on that. The burnt offerings and the peace offerings that Samuel needed to offer. Uh, offerings of absolute surrender. Offerings of fellowship with God. And so it was that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. Oh man. Isn't that cool? When he turned back from going after Samuel, that, saw, that God gave him another heart. No offense, okay? But I got to say this today, okay? I got to say this tonight. Some of you here, you need another heart. You need another heart. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10 says, Our heart is deceitful, desperately wicked, above all things. By, uh, in and of ourselves are our hearts are no good, but then Psalm chapter 51, what, verse 10 and 11 says, creating me what? A clean heart. You know, and I, and I talk to people a lot, you know, and some people, they have a lot of Bible knowledge, and some people, you know what, they, you know, whatever it is, there's certain positive attributes about them, but you know what, sometimes I see, they don't have the heart. They don't have the heart. You're like, well, what can I do, Manny? Well, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issue of the life. Protect your heart. Pray for your heart. Create in me a clean heart. You will not go anywhere in the kingdom of God unless you get your heart right. Your heart right. 
And the way that I think we get that is we just come back to God. We come back to him in desperation. We say, God, change my heart. God, clean my heart. God, give me a new heart. Because I've seen that that's what God will do. Some guys are very religious, and they dot all their I's, and they cross all their T's, but they don't have a heart. God looks at the heart, you know, this mighty man of valor. That's what God's looking for. Remember that horse? I think it was called Secretariat. You guys remember that horse? It had a heart that was twice the size of any other horse, man. And that's why he was able to do what it did. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says that man looks at the outward appearance, right? But God looks where? At the heart. Man, I encourage you to pray, God, create in me a clean heart. God gave him a new heart. All those signs came to pass that day. And verse 10, when they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. And then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all who knew him formerly, they were tripping out. They saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? And then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. He saw prophesied, but he didn't have the function or office of a prophet. God can do that, right? God right here was just basically telling him over and over and over again that I'm with you. I'm with you. And, and I just want to tell you over and over and over and over again tonight that God is with you. God is with you. Want to know how I know that? Because Hebrews 13, 5 says, Be content with such things as you have. He himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You've got to know that God is with you. We may not go through all the signs. You may not see these crazy things happen, but we have the promise of his word. And all this is to do what? Is to encourage you in your calling in life. Please, please don't forget your calling in life. Your commission from Jesus Christ. Life is cool. But the Bible says that we are not to get entangled with the affairs of this life. That we may please him who enlisted us as a soldier. And so we read right here in verse 11. I'm sorry, we already read that. Verse 14. Then Saul's uncle said to him, his servant, where did you go? And so he said to look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said to him, I noticed that your hair is very oily. Tell me about this, right? <laughs> what did Samuel say to you? And so Saul's uncle said to his, Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. And then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of the kingdoms, and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you from all your adversities and tribulations. Think about that. And you have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And so when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. 
And when he had called the tribes of Benjamin to come near by their families, the tribe of Machi was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is, hidden among the equipment. Interesting, huh? I mean, you read that right there, and you're like, Wait a minute, I thought the Lord had already chosen you know, Saul. Anointed him, right? But now it was to be a witness to the entire country that God had chosen him, right? And so when they did finally identify Saul, there he is, hiding among the equipment. Okay, question for you guys. Is that good or bad? How many say it was good? How many say it was bad? And how many are too afraid to raise your hand, right? Yeah, that's how we know it mostly are. I don't know. I don't know which one is. Because we don't know, right? Maybe there is an element of humility, perhaps. And it's kind of cool when you get a guy who says, yeah, I'll be king. I'm the man. You know, that's probably not a good sign. But, but, but then when you see, maybe it's not just an element of humility. Perhaps we're going to see one of Saul's weaknesses. And we're going to go through, and I, I can identify with this sometimes, is an element of insecurity, huh? Because what happens later? You guys remember what happens later? Things start working out good. God raises up this guy named David. And then what ends up happening? All the ladies start singing what song? Oh, David's killed his tens of thousands. Saul's killed a thousand, right? And what ends up happening from that day forward? The, de- the devil enters Saul, right? Why? Because he, 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 he was a man of insecurity. We see probably signs of that right here. I want to encourage you today to be secure in wherever God's placed you. I want to encourage you today to desire for others to excel beyond what you've ever done. If Saul would have only allowed David to be the man, man, God would have done a great work, right? But we see signs here of insecurity already, right? They said, no, he's there. He's hiding among the equipment. And so they ran. They brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, there he was, taller than any other people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? That there was no one like him among all the people, right? And so all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty, wrote it in a book, and laid it up before the people. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, And I like this. And valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presence, but he held his peace. One more chapter. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) You're like, I am so hungry, Manny. (laughs) I wanted to get through that whole section, and I know we went a little over, and we kind of didn't go as in-depth as we usually go because I really wanted to make sure that the Lord, that he laid that message on my heart. Because if we would have only done chapter 8, all you would have seen was how bad Israel was. But when you add chapter 9 and 10 to it, you know what you see? How good God is. You see God working in Saul's life, don't you? You see God giving to Israel an opportunity. You see him giving them a man who has great potential. God blessing them, even though in all reality they don't deserve it. 
And I pray that we would know that that's the God that we serve, you guys. Don't let that be a license to sin, but let it be something that God would use in your life to say, you know what? I love you, Lord. You are so good to me, even though I fail you time and time and time again. Lord, my eyes are on you. Help me, Lord, because you are so wonderful. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. Thank you so much, Lord, for who you are, for what you've done in our life. Father, we see, uh, I, I know I see, Lord, things that I do in my life, how sometimes I don't let you reign over me. How sometimes I unfortunately find myself blending in with the world. Lord, I ask for forgiveness of those sins. I ask for forgiveness of so many times that I've failed you, Lord. But tonight I'm encouraged, Lord, to know that you're the God of the second chance, that you are so good and that you are still working, not only in nations, but in individuals' lives. My prayer today, Lord, is that you would baptize us with your Holy Spirit. My prayer today is that you would supernaturally give us a new heart. Make us valiant men. Touch our hearts tonight. We don't want it just to be a night in which we talk about God. Lord, I pray that right now all of us here would talk to you. That all of us here would say, Lord, we desperately need you. That we've been living in the barren land, dry, Lord, and dusty. And we know there must be more. And so, Lord, I pray that you, by your grace and by your Holy Spirit, would do a work in every heart here. All the Christians, Lord, would know how good you are. And that if there's anyone here who does not know you, Lord, that today would be the day of absolute surrender. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.